Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I would say this, that the financial services industry is one of the most highly regulated industries in this country. There are so many regulations, and, and frankly, you can't blame them because what they deal with, they're dealing with people's livelihoods, you're dealing with people's money, you're, you're having the institution that you're working for, and me and Andrew, we're looking at it from primarily an employee standpoint, there's such a high level of control of everything. Even coming into the building was a very tightly controlled. That was Gilbert Pies who along with his partner, Andrew Gay, make up the Texas Hill Country Financial Advisors. In this special two-part podcast series, we take a look at the FTX scandal from a different angle. First, from the financial institution perspective, and then from the individual investor perspective. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. Today, I have with me Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies. And Andrew has a quick disclaimer to read before we get started for our pod. Andrew? Hi there. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Next Financial Group member FINRA SIPC. Texas Hill Country Advisors is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies and Texas Hill Country Advisors and not those of Next Financial Group. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30, 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. Gentlemen, we are going to talk about TX today. And I would say it's one of the biggest scandals ever, but really it's just in a long line of financial scandals. We have all been researching it, looking at it, talking about it. Topic of crypto, we've all discussed together. And so I wanted to get, get together and take up a couple of topics that may not seem directly related to FTX, but I think they are, and I think you guys do too. It, it really involves the issue of risk. 
And I wanted to visit with you guys because you come out of a background of financial services, banking, and you're now financial advisors as well. But I wanted to start off with your prior career in financial institutions, i.e. banks. And with start with kind of the basics. What do banks think about risk? Obviously, if you have money, you have risk. And if I put $5 in my checking account, the bank's not going to let it sit there. It's going to use that money. So how do you, does a bank think about risk on a very big picture basis? I think so. There's a few ways to slice and dice that answer for us. And I really think because our background, I actually, Andrew Gay here, I worked for the actual bank that, that was the banking institution that was a conglomerate, if you will, for who we worked for. And Gilbert was a financial advisor, still worked for the same parent company, but worked for a subsidiary as a financial advisor and just happened to be located in our bank branch that we worked in. So I was a myriad of different things. I worked my way up through the ranks there. And, and let's, I would say I can start off by sharing some of my experience around some of even like the physical controls. And then Gilbert, if you want to take it over from there about what your side might've looked like, because even though we were in the same geographic location, it's still a little bit different, especially when it comes to risk management. On the very bottom level, I would say you have things in the bank that even as a licensed private banker that I was at the time, I still participated in all of those controls, which would be things like dual control. Every time we accessed anything that was had client information or even like money in the actual vault, everything was signed off on with two people. They had physical controls in place. Every single little detail you could think of was under the scope of risk management somehow. And even though they would tell us that their number one priority was serving clients and customers and doing right by them, it seemed like risk management was always a close second, but it, it really at times felt like risk management was number one on their list. So yeah, so I would be a part of those physical controls, but whether it was accessing client information or doing physical tasks inside the bank, they had those controls wrapped around all of that. So what, what else do you want to add to that, Gilbert? I would say this, that... The financial services industry is one of the most highly regulated industries in this country. There are so many regulations, and, and frankly, you can't blame them because what they deal with, they're dealing with people's livelihoods, you're dealing with people's money, you're, you're having the institution that you're working for, and me and Andrew, we're looking at it from primarily an employee standpoint, there's such a high level of control of everything. Even coming into the building was a very tightly controlled risk management operation. You could not come into the building together. You had to come in separately. You would send in one person by themselves to open the branch, and then you could follow it up with the remaining people. Even taking out the trash was a tightly controlled risk management operation. Handling of paperwork, computer systems, client information, everything, because obviously, too, there's a lot of risk in the financial services from the standpoint of theft from not only customers, a bank robbery or something like that, but from employees. You are, when you do business with a financial services institution, you're giving them all of your details, social security number, date of birth, driver's license information. You're dealing with passwords, login IDs, just a multitude of risk. And so from my perspective, Everything that we did in this financial services business that we're in 
has an element of risk to it. And for customers, we tried to leave a lot of that risk management stuff in the background where you didn't even see it, but it's there. And it's part of the reason why there's such a high level of cost in, involved, cost that you, the customers never see. But it's in there because the bank is having to cover those costs in some form or fashion, and it adds to, the, to their cost of doing business. Financial services is a way highly regulated business with a lot of built-in cost and for good reason. So it's really intrigued by your thoughts, Gilbert, because I've always said that if a business wants to take on an opportunity, transaction, or a task that's very risky, you can do that, one, if you recognize the risk, but two, if you manage the risk. And that may mean very high cost, very high investment in people, controls, or systems. And you may move more slowly than business people want to move, but you can do that. And it sounds like in the financial services industry that there's a recognition that's a very high risk and we're going to manage it at a high level. It may cost a little more, it may be a little slower, but that because either the regulators have said this is high risk or we perceive this is high risk as a as an institution, we're going to take those steps. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, it is. Because when you look at, especially in the financial services business, the bigger the institution, the more risk averse they become and the more controls that have to be implemented. If you're a smaller institution, like, you know, for an example, me and Andrew, our business that we do now is financial advisors. We're much smaller. We're much more nimble. But we still have to take into account all those other risk issues that that bigger institutions have. We just have partners that help us with those things. And the bigger institutions, not only do they have more capital to move and do things that, that maybe a smaller group wouldn't, they also become much more regulated. Obviously, the bigger players in every financial services business get regulated or have the eye on them more. So it's a tricky situation. Big institutions, they also have the luxury of, and Andrew and I know this from experience working with a big institution, they have the luxury of saying, yeah, we're not going to do that part of our business. We're going to dump this part of the business. And as an example, a lot of financial institutions right now, big banks especially, they're getting out of the mortgage business. They don't want to do mortgages. Too much risk. There's a perception there that there's a lot of risk that they have to control and mitigate. But the cost involved to do that is such that there's not enough profit in it for them to do it anymore. So a lot of big financial institutions are getting out of the mortgage business. Doesn't mean you can't get a mortgage. You're just not going to get it from a big financial institution like you could have a year ago or five years ago. I would also add to that that from my experience being there, you brought up a good point, Tom, that in most cases, it felt like the customers wanted to move along faster of the process, whatever they're trying to get done, than the bank could allow because of risk management protocols specifically. So it was almost like it was a, it's a tricky thing for the bank because they're trying to balance themselves between risk management and actually serving the, the client, the customer. And you could very much feel that almost in daily interactions with face-to-face customers, bank. Let me pick up on customers. Because I'm a customer, my financial institution have been for a long time, but banks either do or have to view customers as a potential risk. So I was wondering how do you, how does a bank see a customer as an opportunity risk both or something different? I would say that they're looking at a customer first and foremost as a source of profits, but 
they also recognize that source of profits has a cost and they have to worry about fraud in a financial services business. There's a lot of customer initiated fraud. There's a lot of things that customers themselves do that cause fraud. For example, email and phishing attempts, electronic means, and you give up your customers willingly <laughs> have given up email and passwords to institutions because they get tricked into some kind of a scam. Obviously, most financial institutions want to make money. That's what they're in business for. They need to whether it's a public or a private company, they need to make money for their shareholders or for their owners. But they also have to be very mindful of the risks that they're taking and the cost involved in generating the business. Andrew, you mentioned something earlier about like clients and wanting to move quickly. For example, and this is my perspective working in a bank for several years, clients would come in and want to make a, get a loan. And most clients, when they want to get a loan, they obviously are trying to do something either buy an asset, buy a business, buy some kind of a product or service that will benefit them in some way, shape, or form. Their desire is to get the loan. Well, banks, for obvious reasons, have criteria that they need to meet. They need to have a, enough of a profit motive in the loan itself, so they'll have minimum sometimes. If you go into a bank and ask for a $2,000 loan, the work that they have to do that is so much, it is built in, to such a level that it's, it would be cheaper for the bank and better for the bank if you ask for a $20,000 loan. But, but if you don't need a $20,000 loan, why are you going to ask for that? That's because sometimes the banks are going to say, you know what, we're not going to do loans for anything lower than X amount of dollars. The other thing, too, is that when a customer wants a loan, they usually want it right now or right away or as soon as possible because of banks' risk mitigation processes sometimes those things don't happen very quickly. And the larger the loan, the longer it takes typically because banks are doing their due diligence and saying, hey, is, does this really make sense? Can this person, not only can they afford to make the payments, but are we confident enough in them that they're not going to take the money that we lend them and waste? It? And so th there's a lot of risk there that, the, that banks take. And so always looking at customers is not only a source of profits and revenue, but a source of liability. I would just add to that, that I feel like the answer there in my mind would be to organize that and to say, first and foremost, they're an opportunity, but they wrap the, it seems like the institution, at least the ones we worked for in my experience in the years there, that as long as they had the process that they could articulate to try to mitigate that risk wrapped around that client or that the process that you take a client through, it would be safe to assume that every client's an opportunity. So that came first, as long as the moat or the aura of the risk management processes that they had articulated in place were wrapped around that, were wrapped around that client. Because in their minds, I think they would look at that as saying, yeah, everybody's an opportunity. As long as we got that process in place, that's where we'll vet out the people that are the risk, right? Fraudsters or whatever the case may be. So let me see if I can translate that into compliance speak. You talked about the customer as an opportunity and a risk. And so you have to do some evaluation at the start to determine whether you're going to do business with them. We might call that due diligence. You might call it a background check or something else. But even after you pass that step, there's additional risk. So there needs to be additional risk management. So that really would lead me to ask, how does a bank think about how much money customers should have if they come back for additional requests for money? We've seen numerous banks uh, 
make loans that many of us have scratched our head at where uh, customers come back multiple times to try to get more money and the bank became loaned out more money. But how does the bank think about what I'm going to call ongoing risk management with the customer? I think from my perspective, banks are always worried about once they make the loan, there's obviously a bunch of steps in advance, like you said, before you make a loan, before an institution makes a loan, as an example, and this can be related to not only loans, but whether you're doing investment business with them or any other service that you offer. Banks have to be sure that, okay, are we pretty sure that these people are going to pay us back in the case of a loan? Or in the case of an investments, if we're opening an investment relationship with them, if we buy security on their behalf, are we sure they're going to pay us? But you also have to be mindful of what what could happen? The economy is one example. When you have an economy like we have right now, where there's rapid inflation, rapid increase in prices, interest rates are going up, you can find your customers in a really awkward position. And it's it goes back to what we typically call in the financial services business, leverage. Leverage is probably the key to just about everything. You find out pretty quickly in a bad economy who is over leveraged, who is stretched beyond their means, and who was just riding on the razor's edge of a business that's either profitable or not profitable. And banks are very cautious about that. Investment companies are very cautious about that. Who are you? Who are we doing business with? Why are we doing business with them? And what's the potential for future problems? And all of those questions are asked before we even do business with somebody. There's a lot of regulations. Uh, know your customer is very, very common in the financial services business. Who is this customer? Where they're from? Where do they make their money from? How do they do it? Where do they do it? What's the likelihood for that to continue? But banks use other systems. Check systems is a good example. Um, does this person have a history of writing bad checks? We, a lot of financial institutions do background checks. There's a service called McDonald Information Systems. It is a mini background check on somebody's personal history whether that's a criminal, legal, it does a lot of little background checks on people. So before a bank ever even lends money or does business with somebody, they've done all these things. It's not an assurance that won't be there won't be problems, but it's banks are doing a constant ongoing risk mitigation. And in some cases, a lot of banks, they also do loans where they have a right to recall a loan whenever they want. And, and so you see that occasionally where some financial institutions will say, you know what? Yeah, we put some legal language in our loan documents when you sign them that says, yeah, if we feel like it, we can always change our mind. And if this happens and this happens or this happens and you don't meet this deadline or this covenant, we can go ahead and call the loan back and make you pay us immediately. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's in a lot of loan documentations. And a lot of businesses and individuals sometimes have to provide follow-up details, tax returns, balance sheets, things of that nature that, that will minimize the amount of worry that banks have. And they'll usually put those things in documents too. P- people don't realize it, but it's in there. And I also think that technology, from my perspective, I really think that the bank, the one that the institution we worked for was really good about trying to implement. They weren't necessarily good about user client end friendly user-friendly technology, but their internal systems were great. So like they, their perspective, I think, was that they had enough internal technology monitoring, even of ongoing monitoring of clients' accounts to kind of 
peg when someone would take a wrong turn or this was not the right, this had, this decision had too much risk involved based on our algorithms and the monitoring and all this kind of stuff. But I think like their view of that was that if that would catch 90% of risk that they didn't want to take right up front. And then on to layer on top of that, I think they believe that if they could train the humans that they had working for them on the ground floor to be able to penetrate that last 10% it was, well, then they're just being stellar rock stars in the risk management space because that was like the edge. I feel like they did so much back behind the scenes work to try with technology to try to mitigate a lot of those risks and profiling customers and accounts and relationships to monitor that on an ongoing basis that if they could get their the humans up to speed with that, then they were really rocking and rolling in the risk management division. I really and truly feel like that was that's how they looked at that. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourselves or the Texas Financial Texas Hill Country Financial Advisors, what would be the best place for them to go? Website, TexasHillCountryAdvisors.com, or you can straight up give us a call on our landline, 830-955-9900, or you can just come out of the office. That's fine, too. We're on the fifth floor of the Kerrville South Tower right off of Sydney Baker South next to a Japanese hibachi restaurant. Bonsai and across Bonsai. the street from the small H-E-B here in Kerrville, Texas. Right, right. Or you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, oh, yes. We also do. Facebook, uh, <laughs> YouTube, LinkedIn. We, right. we do distribute. We go. We have a live show and podcast, if you will, on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn that we do live every weekday. We also have distribution in all the spots where podcasts exist. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music we, we do our own radio. podcast about the investment world, and we're there on podcasts for sure. You can get really sick of us if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's no not doubt. hard to find us. <laughs> so, gentlemen, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Thank you for having us, Tom. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoyed this part one of a special two-part series on the FTX scandal. In part two, we're going to take a look at risk management issues from the perspective of the individual investor and why the questions an individual investor needs to ask in terms of background due diligence, financial or audited financial statements, and domicile of headquarters of the company you're investing in are so critical and why these clear red flags were overlooked by large institutional investors in the FTX scandal. I know you'll enjoy part two of this special two-part series on FTX and risk. This special two-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.